Hello, everybody, and welcome into episode number 142 of the Bible Reading Podcast. Today's big Bible question, how do we confirm our calling and election? So hello, friends. Happy Tuesday to you. Today in Central California, we're just about to enter into our ninth week of sheltering in place. Are you going stir-crazy yet? I know that my family is struggling with that quite a bit. We endeavor to get out and walk every day and hike, play, something like that. But honestly, sometimes, and here lately, it's even worse, it's difficult to get everybody on board with a daily adventure, with daily sunshine. Uh, The shelter-in-place order just kind of lulls you into this sort of stay-at-home lethargy where you saturate yourself with media, and it's just not very healthy for us. I hope and pray that this whole thing breaks soon, and I'm sure you're doing the same. So if you're not praying now, start. If you are praying now, double your efforts. Today's Bible readings include Numbers chapter 28, Psalm 72, Isaiah 19 through 20, and 2 Peter chapter 1. Our focus remains in the New Testament, although I promise you I tried to come up with a good Old Testament topic today. I just kind of failed, and uh, there's some great topics in Peter, so there you go. Our question of the day is a bit of a theological one, at least on the surface, but it has very strong spiritual implications for our walk with Christ, so I thought it would be a good one to tackle. There's quite an interesting command in 2 Peter 1.10 where it says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election, because if you do these things, you'll never stumble. And today's question is, how do we confirm our calling and election? So think about that question as we read through Second Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Simeon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith equal to ours through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. By these He has given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may share in the divine nature escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness, goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The person who lacks these things is blind and short-sighted and has forgotten the cleansing from his past sins. Therefore, brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election, because if you do these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, entry into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be richly provided for you. Therefore, I will always remind you about these things, even though you know them and are established in the truth you now have. I think it's right, as long as I am in this bodily tent, to wake you up with a reminder, since I know that I will soon lay aside my tent, as our Lord Jesus Christ has indeed made clear to me. And I will also make every effort so that you are able to recall these things at any time after my departure. For we did not follow cleverly contrived myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and said, We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, 
This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice when it came from heaven while we were with him on the holy mountain. We also have the prophetic word strongly confirmed, and you will do well to pay attention to it, as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you know this, no prophecy of Scripture comes from the prophet's own interpretation, because no prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, Men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So, back to our big question. How do we confirm our calling and election, considering that it is God who does the calling and electing? So first, before we endeavor to answer the question at hand, we probably ought to define and talk about exactly what calling and election refers to, because this is not a passage about telephones or politics. Calling is from a Greek word, klesis, And it signifies a calling in the sense of an invitation, perhaps an invitation to a feast or a party, or in this context, an invitation to salvation. Consider 2 Timothy 1.9. He has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. So calling is not based on merit uh, or works or goodness, it's based on something that happened before time began. And the word calling is a word that demonstrates that God has called or invited one to salvation. Now, the word election is fa- a fairly similar concept, but it maybe entails some more detail. It comes from the Greek word ekloge and means to choose. So let's turn to our friends at Theopedia for a good understanding of election. And they say, in Christian theology, election refers to God's choosing of individuals or peoples to be the objects of his grace or to otherwise fulfill his purposes. Most often, God's election is associated with his choice of individuals unto salvation. The Calvinist view of election, also known as unconditional election, teaches that in eternity God chose some individuals from the mass of fallen humanity unto salvation without regard to any merit or foreseen faith in them, but solely based on his sovereign intentions. Election and predestination are very similar concepts to the point that the terms can sometimes be used interchangeably. However, there is a difference in the emphasis of the two terms. Election primarily has in view God's sovereign selection, whereas predestination accents the purpose or goal of his election. Scripture clearly teaches both election and predestination. However, there are a variety of views as to who, when, why, and how God does so. So calling an election in a biblical sense is all about God's choosing to call to salvation and elect to salvation some people, and hence we get to the perplexing nature of our command. If salvation is initiated and begun by God's sovereign choice, and I wholeheartedly believe it is, then how in the world can we humans confirm our calling and election? What does that even mean? Well, I believe we get some information on this in a passage that I believe is a bit of a parallel to this, except it's written by Paul, and it's in 2 Corinthians 13.5, which says this, "'Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith.'" examine yourselves, or do you yourselves not recognize that Jesus Christ is in you, unless you fail the test? Now, as we've gone through this recent coronavirus pandemic, I have been testing myself quite a bit lately. 
but unfortunately not in the Pauline sense here. I've not been testing myself to see if I was in the faith, even though it's a biblical command, but I've been testing myself to see if the coronavirus was in me. Maybe you can relate to that. I have taken my temperature a lot more than normal, and if one of my five children or my precious wife coughs, I often go get the scanning thermometer and check on them. They think it's the sweetest and greatest and most endearing thing in the world when I do that, and it just fills their heart with fluffy warmness. Okay, I'm actually being sarcastic. They find it pretty much as annoying as you might expect. Uh, But Paul isn't talking here about neurotically and excessively testing yourself for your family members constantly to see if you're a Christian, like some have done with the coronavirus, but he's writing from the same heart that Peter is, wanting to assure that those who are professing Jesus with their mouths are actually walking with Jesus in their lives and actions. As Jesus strongly warns warns us in Matthew 7.21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Our calling and election, therefore, are not confirmed by the words of our mouth or our own self-identification. There's a lot of people out there that are Christians in name only. So if not our self-identification, if not that, then what? And I think Jesus answers the question a few verses earlier in Matthew 7:17, where he says, In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So you will recognize them by their fruit. Now, Jesus is not talking about trees here. He's talking about people. And I believe it is the fruit of our lives, the impact of our lives, and the Holy Spirit producing his fruit or the traits of God in us that demonstrates whether or not we are a good tree rooted in the vine of Jesus, see John 15, 1 through 8, or a bad tree that is rooted in the soil of ourselves. So let me be very, very clear here. We are not saved by the fruit of our lives or by good works. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But it is the fruit of our lives that demonstrate or show whether or not our salvation is sure. In other words, it's the fruit of our life that demonstrates whether or not our calling and election is confirmed. The fruit of our lives which shows whether or not Christ is in us. In other words, I believe Paul and Peter are both exhorting us to the same exact thing, making sure that we are not merely Christians in name only, but that we are truly saved by Jesus, as demonstrated by Jesus himself living in us, the Holy Spirit producing fruit in us, or God's character traits in us, and our lives themselves producing and showing the fruit or the impact of a follower of Jesus. I feel like I could be doing a better job of explaining this question, so let me tag in Dr. R.C. Sproul to provide some additional and helpful clarity. This is an expert. Uh, this is an, he is an expert. He was an expert. Uh, probably more of an expert now that he's in heaven, but this is actually an excerpt from his book, Doubt and Assurance, which I highly recommend. And in the book, Dr. Sproul is answering the question, How can we make our calling and election sure? 
And he's going to be talking about assurance. And the question of how can we make our calling and election sure is the same question as how can we know that we are really and truly saved by Jesus. And so Dr. Sproul says, The assurance we need most is the assurance of salvation. Although we are loath to think about it or contemplate it deeply, we know, if only intuitively, that the worst catastrophe that could ever befall us is to be visited by God's final punitive wrath. Our insecurity is worsened by the certainty that we deserve it. Many believe that assurance of eternal salvation is neither possible or even to be sought. To claim such assurance in their eyes is considered a mask of supreme arrogance, the the very tip of self-conceit. Yet, if God declares that it is possible to have full assurance of salvation and even commands that we seek after it, then it would actually be supremely arrogant to deny our need or neglect the search. And in fact, God does command us to make our calling and election sure. Second Peter 1.10, Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure, for if you do these things, you will never fall. This command admits of no justifiable neglect, says Sproul. It addresses a crucial matter. The question, am I saved, is one of the most important I can ever ask myself. I need to know the answer. I must know the answer. This is not a trifle. Without the assurance of salvation, the Christian life is unstable, vulnerable to the debilitating rigors of mood changes. Basing assurance on changing emotions allows the wolf of heresy to camp on the doorstep of our hearts. Progress in sanctification requires a firm foundation in faith. Assurance of salvation is the cement of that foundation. Without it, the foundation crumbles. How then do we receive assurance? The scripture declares that the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. This inner testimony of the Holy Spirit is as vital as it is complex. It can be subjected to severe distortions being confused with subjectivism and self-delusion. To have sound assurance of salvation, we must understand that our salvation rests upon the merit of Christ alone, which is appropriated to us when we embrace him by genuine faith. If we understand that, the remaining question is, do I have the genuine faith necessary for salvation? To answer that question, two more things must be understood and analyzed properly. The first is doctrinal. We need a clear understanding of what constitutes genuine saving faith. If we conceive of saving faith as a faith that exists in a vacuum, neither yielding the fruits of, of works of obedience, never yielding the fruit of works of obedience, we have confused saving faith with dead faith, which cannot save anyone. The second requirement involves a sober analysis of our own lives. We must examine ourselves to see if the fruit of regeneration is apparent in us. Do we have a real affection for the biblical Christ? Only the regenerate or saved person possesses real love for the real Jesus. Next, we must ask the tough question, Does my life manifest the fruit of sanctification? I test my faith by my works. I call this last question the tough question for various reasons. We can lose assurance if we think perfect obedience is the test. Every sin we commit after conversion can cast doubt upon our assurance. That doubt is exacerbated or amplified by Satan's assault of accusation against us. Satan delights in shaking the true Christian's assurance. 
or we can delude ourselves by looking at our own works with an exalted view of our goodness, seeing virtue in ourselves when there is none. Here we quake in terror before our Lord's warning, Matthew seven twenty two through 23 Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Real assurance rests on a sound understanding of salvation, a sound understanding of justification, a sound understanding of sanctification, and a sound understanding of ourselves. In all these matters, we have the comfort and assistance of the Holy Spirit who illuminates or lights up the text of Scripture for us, who works in us to yield the fruit or the impact of sanctification and who bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. So Dr. Sproul got very deep on us there. But I believe in the final analysis, the way to know whether or not you are a Christian and the way to therefore make your calling and election sure is to look at the fruit of your life and look at where your heart goes. Do you love Jesus? It's not natural for a human that is not saved by Jesus to love Jesus and want to please him. That is an evidence or a fruit of the Spirit's work in your life that points towards your being saved. If you genuinely desire to please God with your life and you love him and you love Jesus and you cherish him and you cherish the good news that he died on the cross to save you from your sins, then that is an excellent evidence or fruit of the Spirit's working in your life. And look other places as well. If good works are flowing out of you, not the kind of good works that you're doing in guilt, so maybe in the hope that God will save you, but the kind of good works that come out of you because you're grateful that God has saved you. When we see those kind of fruits, we see genuine evidence that we are rooted and grounded in Jesus because, as he says, apart from him, we can do nothing. So if the work of God is going on around our lives and through our lives, we can rest assured it's not because of us. We're not causing those things to happen, but we can rest assured that when we see the fruit of God's work in our life and the Spirit testifies to us that he is in us, then we can have assurance of salvation. Well, if that is not clear to you, then I would invite you to send me a message, leave a comment on our website, BibleReadingPodcast.com, because I want to be as clear as possible that there is assurance of salvation available for the believer. It starts with the fruit of evident in our lives, and it ends with the testimony of the Spirit saying to us, I am in you. And that understanding is, of course, from Romans 8.16. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit, that we are God's children. So I hope that is helpful and encouraging for you. May the Lord give you deep and rich assurance of faith if you are in Christ. And if you're not, if you're listening to this and you're realizing, you know, I go to church, I call myself a Christian, but when I look at the evidence of my life and when I look into my heart and and wonder, I'm not sure that I am a follower of Jesus. Well, if that's where you are, I'd love to hear from you. Again, comment on the website, message me on social media. Um, I'm Chase A. Thompson on Facebook. I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to talk about the gospel with you. Uh, But the, the bottom line is this. I can't save you, but I can tell you 
that what I said earlier, we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus alone stands. What that means is that you can't save yourself by your works. You and I must look to Jesus, who is the author and the finisher and the perfecter of our salvation. We look to what he did in our place on the cross, and we believe that that was effective for our lives. We look to him, and we are saved. Look to Jesus and be saved. That is the way of salvation. You don't earn his attention. You look to him and are saved. Look to what he's done, following him in faith wholeheartedly with your life, not earning it by works because the work has already been done. So if you lack assurance of faith, look to Jesus and be saved. Numbers chapter 28, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Give this command to the Israelites and say to them, Make sure that you present to me at the appointed time my food offerings as an aroma pleasing to me. Say to them, This is the food offering you are to present to the Lord. Two lambs a year old without defect is a regular burnt offering each day. Offer one lamb in the morning and the other at twilight together with a grain offering of a tenth of an ephah of the finest flour mixed with a quarter of a hen of oil from pressed olives. This is the regular burnt offering instituted at Mount Sinai as a pleasing aroma, a food offering presented to the Lord. The accompanying drink offering is to be a quarter of a hen of fermented drink with each lamb. Pour out the drink offering to the Lord at the sanctuary. Offer the second lamb at twilight along with the same kind of grain offering and drink offering that you offer in the morning. This is a food offering, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. On the Sabbath day, make an offering of two lambs, a year old, without defect, together with its drink offering and a grain offering of two-tenths of an ephah of the finest flour mixed with olive oil. This is the burnt offering for every Sabbath, in addition to the regular burnt offering and its drink offering. On the first day of every month, present to the Lord a burnt offering of two young bulls, one ram, and seven male lambs a year old, all without defect. With each bull there is to be a grain offering of three-tenths of an ephah of the finest flour mixed with oil, with the ram a grain offering of two-tenths of an ephah at the finest flour mixed with oil, and with each lamb a grain offering of a tenth of an ephah of the finest flour mixed with oil. This is for a burnt offering, a pleasing aroma, a food offering presented to the Lord. With each bull there is to be a drink offering of half a hen of wine, with the ram a third of a hen, and with each lamb a quarter of a hen. This is the monthly burnt offering to be made at each new moon during the year. Besides the regular burnt offering with its drink offering, one male goat is to be presented to the Lord as a sin offering. On the fourteenth day of the first month of the Lord's Passover is to be held. On the fifteenth day of this month there is to be a festival for seven days, eat bread without yeast. On the first day, hold a sacred assembly and do no regular work. Present to the Lord a food offering consisting of a burnt offering of two young bulls, one ram, and seven male lambs a year old, all without defect. With each bull offering, a grain offering of three-tenths of an ephah, the finest flour mixed with oil, with the ram two-tenths, and with each of the seven lambs one-tenth. Include one male goat as a sin offering to make atonement for you. Offer these in addition to the regular burnt offering. In this way, present the food offering every day for seven days as an aroma pleasing to the Lord. It is to be offered in addition to the regular burnt offering and its drink offering. On the seventh day, hold a sacred assembly and do no regular work. On the day of the first fruits, when you present to the Lord an offering of new grain during the festival of weeks, hold a sacred assembly and do no regular work. 
present a burnt offering of two young bulls, one ram, and seven male lambs a year old as an aroma pleasing to the Lord. With each bull there is to be a grain offering of three-tenths of an ephah of the finest flour mixed with oil, with the ram two-tenths, and with each of the seven lambs one-tenth. Include one male goat to make atonement for you. Offer these together with their drink offerings, in addition to the regular burnt offering and its grain offering. Be sure the animals are without defect. Psalm chapter 72, verse 1. God, give your justice to the king and your righteousness to the king's son. He will judge your people with righteousness and your afflicted ones with justice. May the mountains bring well-being to the people and the hills righteousness. May he vindicate the afflicted among the people, help the poor, and crush the oppressor. May they fear you while the sun endures and as long as the moon throughout all generations. May the king be like rain that falls on the cut grass, like spring showers that water the earth. May the righteous flourish in his days and well-being abound until the moon is no more. May he rule from sea to sea and from the Euphrates to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes kneel before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and the coasts and islands bring tribute. The kings of Sheba and Seba offer gifts. Let all the kings bow in homage to him. All nations serve him, for he will rescue the poor who cry out and the afflicted who have no helper. He will have pity on the poor and the helpless and save the lives of the poor. He will redeem them from oppression and violence, for their lives are precious in his sight. May he live long. May gold from Sheba be given to him. May prayer be offered for him continually, and may he be blessed all day long. Maybe there be plenty of grain in the land. May it wave on the tops of the mountains. May its crops be like Lebanon. May people flourish in the cities like the grass of the field. May his name endure forever as long as the sun shines. May his fame increase. May all nations be blessed by him and call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who alone does wonders. Blessed be his glorious name forever. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Amen and amen. The prayers of David, son of Jesse, are concluded. Isaiah chapter 19, verse 1. Look, the Lord rides on a swift cloud and is coming to Egypt. Egypt's worthless idols will tremble before him and Egypt will lose heart. I will provoke Egyptians against Egyptians, and each will fight against his brother, and each against his friend, city against city, kingdom against kingdom. Egypt's spirit will be disturbed within it, and I will frustrate its plans. Then they will inquire of worthless idols, ghosts, mediums, and spiritists. I will hand over Egypt to harsh masters, and a strong king will rule it. This is the declaration of the Lord God of armies. The water of the sea will dry up and the river will be parched and dry. The channels will stink and they will dwindle and Egypt's canals will be parched. Reed and rush will wilt. The reeds by the Nile, by the mouth of the river, and all the cultivated areas of the Nile will wither, blow away, and vanish. Then the fishermen will mourn. All those who cast hooks into the net will Nile will lament. And those who spread nets on the water will give up. Those who work with flax will be dismayed. Those combing it and weaving linen will turn pale. Egypt's weavers will be dejected. 
All her wage owners will be demoralized. The princes of Zoan are complete fools. Pharaoh's wisest advisors give stupid advice. How can you say to Pharaoh, I am one of the wise, a student of eastern kings? Where then are your wise men? Let them tell you and reveal what the Lord of armies has planned against Egypt. The princes of Zoan have been fools. The princes of Memphis are deceived. Her tribal chieftains have led Egypt astray. The Lord has mixed within her a spirit of confusion. The leaders have made Egypt stagger in all she does as a drunken drunkard staggers in his vomit. No head or tail, Palmer Reed will be able to do anything for Egypt. On that day, Egypt will be like women and will tremble with fear because of the threatening hand of the Lord of Armies when he raises it against them. The land of Judah will terrify Egypt whenever Judah is mentioned. Egypt will tremble because of what the Lord of Armies has planned against it. On that day, five cities in the land of Egypt will speak the language of Canaan and swear loyalty to the Lord of Armies. One of the cities will be called the City of the Sun. On that day, there will be an altar to the Lord in the center of the land of Egypt and a pillar to the Lord near her border. It will be a sign and witness to the Lord of Armies in the land of Egypt. When they cry out to the Lord because of their oppressors, he will send them a savior and leader, and he will rescue them. The Lord will make himself known to Egypt, and Egypt will know the Lord on that day. They will offer sacrifices and offerings. They will make vows to the Lord and fulfill them. The Lord will strike Egypt, striking and healing. Then they will turn to the Lord, and he will be receptive to their prayers and heal them. On that day, there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria. Assyria will go to Egypt, Egypt to Assyria, and Egypt will worship with Assyria. On that day, Israel will form a triple alliance with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing within the land. The Lord of armies will bless them, saying, Egypt my people, Assyria my handiwork, and Israel my inheritance are blessed. In the year that the chief commander sent by King Sargon of Assyria came to Ashdod and attacked and captured it, During that time, the Lord had spoken through Isaiah, son of Amoz, saying, Go, take off your sackcloth from your waist, and remove the sandals from your feet. And he did that, going stripped and barefoot. The Lord said, As my servant Isaiah has gone stripped and barefoot three years, as a sign and omen against Egypt and Cush, so the king of Assyria will lead the captives of Egypt and the exiles of Cush, young and old alike, stripped and barefoot with bared buttocks to Egypt's shame. Those who made Cush their hope and Egypt their boast will be dismayed and ashamed. And the inhabitants of this coastland will say on that day, Look, this is what has happened to those we relied on and fled to for help to rescue us from the king of Assyria. Now how will we escape? Well, Amen, my friends. I pray that the word of the Lord is encouraging to you and edifying and points you to Jesus. May the Lord himself bless you today. May he give all of you that are in Christ great assurance of faith in him. And may he give all of you who are not in Christ a deep understanding of his calling and invitation, that you would hear it, that you would follow him, that you would be saved, that you would um, have eternal life through the gospel of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Godspeed.